Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 6. Listen now to the word of the Lord. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They, t- they shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, again, I want to just uh, remind you, uh, after service, we have lunch and a uh, time of uh, gathering to uh, fellowship and have a small group Bible studies. So I want to just, again, encourage and invite all of you to stick around uh, today and for the next several weeks uh, of the Lenten season and be a part of that. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this day. Uh, as we continue in this season, help us to pray. Help us to know what it is to pray and to come before you uh, as the psalmist does and invites us to uh, lay before you uh, all that is in us. And now in the hearing of your word, help us to really listen and to discover your word for us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 6, uh, as you heard, uh, is the first of what's known in the church as the seven penitential psalms. So these seven psalms uh, calls, call us toward uh, penitence, toward confession. And so these are often read during the season of Lent, uh, as Lent is a season of reflection and confession. Um, A penitential psalm, according to Psalm 102, is a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. I think that that's a good definition. Uh, it's, It's the prayer that we pray uh, when we're in trouble. And it actually, it's this idea, um, you know, the Quakers, when they did their uh, penal reforms, uh, the idea of a penitentiary is behind this word, right? Instead of a prison being a place where you would be punished, uh, the Quakers thought it ought to be a penitentiary where that as you go and you're penitent, you have a time of reflection and confession and that you might be restored and and healed. Um, So our reading today, like other 
penitential psalms, as well as other uh, what we call lament psalms, it begins with this idea of complaint. I think this is the easy part in prayer. Um, in fact, if you don't know how to pray, if you don't know what to pray, you can start by complaining. Nothing fancy here. Nothing theological, really. Just uh, complain about what's wrong in your life to God. That's prayer. You all know how to complain. Some of you are better at it than others. Some of you are really good at it. Uh, What could be easier? Just complain. Tell your complaints to God. That's, That's prayer. And today, in this psalm, the psalmist has two complaints. One is his health, and the other is the people around him. Pretty much what all of us complain about. Um, First, health. Look at the language he uses. He says he's languishing. His bones are troubled. His soul or his very life is troubled. He's weary with moaning. He fears death. His His eyes are wasting away because of grief. And he's been crying so much. I mean, he says he's been crying so much that his bed can float and swim in the amount of tears that he shed. Um, His whole being, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, is sick. Uh, I mean, it's a little melodramatic, but I think most of us uh, by now have experienced illness or have been around people who are so ill, uh, not just the physical pain, but we've gone through with them, or we've experienced ourselves, the, the mental, emotional uh, toll that it takes on our bodies. And, and we felt like we, we've just cried so much, there are more, no more tears left. And, and so we, we have some sense of what this is like. Uh, in fact, uh, during a recent uh, FG meeting, uh, we were going around sharing our prayer requests, and someone noted that all of the prayer requests were related to health. <laughs> Right? Everyone was saying, you know, I got this ache, I'm having this, and all that. Uh, you know, how's your, how's your week this week? And, you know, we respond now with, well, I got this appointment with this doctor. And it's kind of a list of these, you know, my knee's not feeling good this week. Uh, and then my elbow, I'm having some pain in my joint. Like, that's, that's my life now. Um, in fact, this month, in my, just in my immediate family, I counted nearly a dozen different medical appointments uh, that we have to uh, attend to. And that's not even including like the regular physical therapy several of us have to uh, continue to do. Uh, it, it's, a little de- it's a little depressing, frankly. Um, some of you are still very young and healthy. Um, and it's too bad because you don't really understand how valuable that is. And you don't know how to appreciate that yet. Uh, as a saying that's been uh, attributed to uh, George Bernard Shaw goes, you know, youth is wasted on the young. You, you just don't, you don't, you won't get it, and by the time you get it, it'll be too late. Um, but for the psalmist, what, what makes the illness so much more painful, I think, is that he has linked his pain, his illness, with God's anger. It's not just a medical issue, it's a theological one. Now, we don't usually or automatically make that connection. It's like when, when I get the flu, I don't think, oh, it must be because, you know, uh, I was mean to my sister or something like that. Like, we don't make that sin equals illness connection. We, we understand 
illness, largely in terms of, you know, biology, germs, and poor diet, and, you know, things like that. Uh, but for the ancients, and for biblical writers, certainly, spiritual well-being and physical bodily well-being uh, were intimately connected. Um, so illnesses, therefore, were often traced back to God, so that God is the one who is afflicting me. So it's not, it's not just that I'm having illness, it's I, got, I have a problem with God now. And so health, if you had health and you had healing, those were signs of God's favor and forgiveness. And if you were ill or sick or suffering, then you generally thought that is a result of sin and God's judgment. Uh, Exodus 15, 26, for example, when God tells the newly liberated Israelites, he says, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, that is, that is, if you walk with God and you're obedient, then God says, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God, your healer. Right? So salvation, uh, deliverance, uh, all of this is associated with physical well-being as well as what we might think of as spiritual well-being. Now, of course, we know from experience that, in fact, not every illness is a result of sin. Uh, when you catch the flu from uh, taking care of your uh, spouse or your children, uh, it's not because of sin that you've caught that flu, right? You, you know that there's other things involved medically. Uh, we know that there is no necessary connection between sin and Illness, And so we want to be very circumspect when we uh, make any kind of judgment uh, regarding that with people who are ill. Uh, as the book of Job demonstrates, as well as other texts, uh, there's much that we do not understand about these kind of direct links between righteousness and health and illness and suffering. And we know, of course, just from our own experience that the innocent suffer and that evil people, many of them, remain very healthy. Um, so I don't want to you know, make this sort of one-to-one correspondence as sometimes the biblical writers are apt to do. Um, but at the same time, we also want to acknowledge uh, with, with modern medicine, uh, who, take a, who are now increasingly taking a more holistic approach toward health, that there are connections between emotional and spiritual well-being and physical health, right? That stress, fear, guilt, things like that, unhappiness, can lead to increased risks for various diseases. We understand this. The body is not merely you know, just a, a mechanism, right? That, that it's intimately linked with all that we are. So the body is not some separate thing that can be treated apart from the rest of what makes us who we are. So I think for us, at least, at the very least, I think when, when illness strikes, it ought to lead us at least to some sort of introspection. We can at least explore the potential underlying emotional and spiritual stresses that are behind it. It can remind us to be thankful for the health that we have, to enjoy the gift of life. We can also wonder whether it might be sin-related and lead us to a time of confession and repentance. When an illness is life-threatening or prolonged, it can also teach us to number our days, to consider our mortality, and to think more about eternal matters. I think it can serve this kind of purpose, that illness is not a, uh, is good or a part of God's perfect will, but that it can serve this kind of usefulness in our lives. And I think that's part of what the psalmist is experiencing. 
So he's got this physical suffering that's going on, uh, but there's a second source of complaint, and that is there are these enemies or foes all around him. Who they are or what their you know, grievances are is, is not specified. Um, but we know, again, from our own experiences, that there are people around us who oppose us, who hate us, and who take delight in our failures. There are people who just, for whatever reason, make our lives more difficult and miserable. Not just for ourselves personally, but for our larger communities. Uh, we can point to these sort of big stories in the news, like the terrorist shooting in New Zealand last week, or you know, the people who cheated to get their kids into college, you know, um, things like that. But we have um, people in our daily lives, right? Classmates, coworkers, bosses, employees, relatives, and people in the church that make our lives more challenging. And so he's experiencing this, these foes, and he's asking, like, I just want them out of my life. I wish they just wouldn't be around. Um, You know, C.S. Lewis said something similar in uh, his reflection uh, on the Psalms. He wrote, I'm inclined to think a Christian would be wise to avoid, where he decently can, any meeting with people who are bullies, less vicious, cruel, dishonest, spiteful, and so forth. Not because we are too good for them. In a sense, we are not good enough. We are not good enough to cope with all the temptations, nor clever enough to cope with all the problems which an evening spent in such company uh, society uh, produces. So he's mostly concerned with the kind of negative influence uh, that they would have, right? And insofar as like these kinds of people make you grumpy and angry, right? There, there are certain people in my life that just, when I'm with them, I, I, I get angry and I just, I, I don't like that about myself and I don't want to be with them. Um, and so I think in that regard, he, he's right. I'm sure all of you have at some point uh, fantasized about how better your life would be if certain people in your life just disappeared. I mean, you don't wish anything really bad. You just kind of wish, maybe just move to another state, you know, or just, just move further away so I have less dealings uh, with them. But of course, we, we can't avoid all these kinds of people. You, you can't avoid all the people who, who make your life more difficult. Uh, so the psalmist does what we do. He complains. He complains. But here's why this is not just whining and grumbling. It's not just the litany of complaints, but this is a prayer. This is what makes it a prayer. Because before all the complaining, he begins by asking God not to rebuke him in his anger, not to discipline him in his wrath. It means that before he complains, or as a part of his complaint, there is this implicit admission that there is some deserving of God's wrath and punishment. He knows, and we know, that God's Anger is not random. That God is patient and does everything God can to kind of withhold his anger. And so pleading for God to withhold his anger means that the psalmist knows that the punishment or the pain he's experiencing is at least in part deserved. That's an admission. That's part of this confession that he's making. So when he asks God, how long, what he's asking is, the sense of this is, how much longer? How much longer do I have to put up with this? How much longer do I have to keep suffering? 
Maybe, you know, uh, there are times in your life where you've done something wrong and you feel like you deserve some punishment, right? Little kids, they, they get a five-minute timeout and they ask, you know, how long, how much longer, you know, do I have to sit in the corner? Because it seems like an eternity. Maybe you get into a, an argument with your spouse uh, and she or he uh, gives you the cold shoulder for a day on your honeymoon, for example, um, how long does it last? How much longer is this going to go on? You ask. There's no answer. Maybe it lasts a day. Maybe it lasts you know, much longer. How much longer? How long before peace returns? Before the relationship is restored? How much longer, God, before you rescue me? There's a lot of complaining. But notice here that it's interspersed with these, these pleadings for help. Seven imperatives punctuate the first four verses. Do not rebuke me. Do not discipline me. Be gracious to me. Heal me. Turn and deliver my life. Save me. He's complaining, but he's complaining to God because he knows that God is the one who can help him. He knows that he cannot deliver himself from his illness or from his foes. And and that's what prayer does for us. At the very least, it helps us to admit our weakness And to lean upon a strength that is greater than ours. It's rooted in God's character. It's an appeal to God's character and not an appeal to my own strengths or my own righteousness. He asks for mercy and calls upon God to act in accordance with his steadfast love, with his character of who he is. Not because what I can do or what I promise to do in the future. It's asking for mercy based on who God is the God that he has come to know. He even prays something that sounds like a threat. For in death there is, no con- there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Right? He said, God, keep me alive. Rescue me because when I'm dead, I can't praise you. You're going to lose one more person on earth who can give you praise. He knows that God alone is one who can rescue, redeem, and restore him. And, and here's the key for me. Here's the key for me for this, for this psalm and prayer. The prayer, how long, how long, how much longer, tells me that in the midst of all this complaining, in the midst of all this cry for help, is this foundation, the faith that God is close, that God listens, and that God can rescue. Right? The fact is that his argument, his pleading for God's help, rests in the fact that God's reputation, God's glory, we might even say God's well-being is tied up with my well-being. Like, God, your well-being is connected to my well-being. That's the intimacy the psalmist enjoys, right? Like, those with whom you are very close, right? Your, your uh, spouses, children, your, your closest friends, your parents, you know that their well-being is tied up with your well-being. Like when they're sick, you feel sick. You can't help it. Right? But, but if a stranger is sick, you know, you might feel some sympathy, but you don't have that kind of pain, that experience of just the depth of pain that you would have when it's someone that's very close to you. When your child is sick, you complain, you cry out for help, and you hurt along with them. You, you feel their pain almost as deeply as they feel theirs. Because you are intimately connected to that person. It's the same way the psalmist is crying out to God. 
You know, it's one of the things I always tell um, couples in premarital counseling that when you have a problem with your spouse, um, yeah, you, you can complain, you can moan and argue, but do it with your spouse. You, you ought to seek outside help, and, and that's very helpful, but start with each other. As long as the relationship makes it possible, as long as you can argue with one another and complain with one another, um, there's, there's hope. It means that that relationship is still functioning. And that's what the psalmist is experiencing here. Because he knows that this complaining to God is going to make a difference. Or he has the, the trust that it's going to make a difference because he has this kind of deep relationship with God. And so he can plead and he can argue with God like Moses and Abraham and others because that relationship is there. So the, so the cry of how long, O Lord, how much longer, it tells us it's only possible because that relationship is intact. Because he knows God, he can pray like this. Uh, I want to read you something that uh, challenged and encouraged me this week. It's by uh, St. Augustine. Um, it's something he wrote in his Confessions. And it's, 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 his, it's a section where he's, he's praising and exalting God by describing God. And I, I want to read it to you. Um, he writes this. O highest and best, most powerful, most all-powerful, most merciful and most just, most deeply hidden and most nearly present, most beautiful and most strong, constant yet incomprehensible, changeless yet changing all things, never new, never old, making all things new, bringing the proud to decay and they know it not, always acting and always at rest, still gathering yet never wanting, Upholding, filling, and protecting, creating, nourishing, and bringing to perfection. Seeking, although in need of nothing. You love, but with no storm of passion. You are jealous, but with no anxious fear. You repent, but do not grieve. In your anger, calm. You change your works, but never change your plan. You take back what you find, and yet have never lost. Never in need, you are yet glad of gain. Never greedy, yet still demanding profit of your loans. To be paid in access so that you may be the debtor. And yet who has anything which is not yours? You pay back debts which you never owed and cancel debts without losing anything. Um... You know, when I read that, I thought, it's, yeah, it's just words, maybe. Um, it's this sort of series of uh, contradictions or paradox. Um, but it shows a depth of understanding and a knowledge of God uh, that I'm striving to have. Right? To have an intimacy with God, a relationship, a comfort with God, a nearness with God so that I can cry out, so that every moment, every speech is somehow immersed in the knowledge of God and a walk with God, right? That, that's what the psalmist knows. 
And I think his prayer here, it's, it's an invitation for us to join him in this prayer. Especially, I think, during this Lenten season to have these kinds of prayers. And we see here now, the first seven verses, he's complaining, he's crying out for help. But then in the last three verses, there's this, you see this change, this shift in tone. He has confidence that God has heard his weeping so that he can dismiss, dismiss his enemies with confidence. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. As far as from the psalm, nothing's changed. The circumstances of life have not changed at all. He's not been healed as far as we know. He's still waiting. His enemies are still around. They haven't been chased away. But because he prayed, he has this confidence. He has this intimacy with God. He knows God. And so he has made this prayer and he knows that God has heard his prayers. He has that confidence. And so everything else changes for him. He knows that God will deliver. Because he knows God, he knows that this great reversal will take place. His bones are troubled, but God will now make his enemies troubled. God will turn around and his enemies will be turned away. You know, this is a... This experience of illness and of enemies uh, is something that we all have. And maybe, you know, it's an encouragement to know uh, that it's something that Jesus also understood very much. In John 12, he quotes uh, verse 3, Now is my soul troubled. And Jesus goes on to say, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus fully understood and identified with all of our troubles, right? He suffered. He was troubled. He died. It it, it tells us that the troubles that we experience, the enemies that we experience, the suffering that we have, the injustice of much of it is a part of our human condition. It's not an automatic sign of divine punishment or retribution. It's part of our reality. And Jesus went through all that we will go through. Nothing is unfamiliar to him. His very soul, too, was troubled. He knew what it was to pray this prayer. And yet in that dark hour, like the psalmist, he trusted God and he chose to be obedient. Um, I know that all of you are doing everything you can to put yourself in a good position so that you don't have to pray this kind of prayer. You try to eat right, you exercise, you try to surround yourself with good people and to be a good person. But you know that despite all your efforts, and sometimes because of your efforts, you still find yourself between a rock and a hard place. That's the way it works sometimes. Uh, I was reminded about the, the Philippian jailer uh, in Acts. You remember? Right? Here's a guy who probably just doing his job, trying to take, make sure everyone's uh, in, being taken care of. Uh, I imagine he did his duty responsibly. But then after uh, Paul is put in prison, remember there's, there's an earthquake? How do you prepare for that? Well, if you're in California, you're prepared. But here, not so much. And I think every little ache, every big illness, every little annoying person in my life uh, is a reminder that ultimately 
I'm not in control. And that no matter what I do, there are going to be things and there are going to be people that I can't fix or make me like me or do the way I want things done. So what I can do is to call out, to cry out for help, and then trust that God will redeem, that he will ultimately restore, that he will rescue. It doesn't mean that I don't do anything or that I live irresponsibly, but that ultimately I have to place my life uh, into his hands. Most of you have had an experience, have come to a place, whether driven by illness or by enemies, things that you, you couldn't fix or change, where you had to relinquish control and to depend upon the grace of God. I know, sometimes, I know that's hard. You know, I know most of you, you are very competent people. And for you to say, I can't fix this, I know that's hard. You have to accept these realities that are beyond your control because we're mortal, we're sinners, and sickness and broken relationships are a part of what it means to be human. And yet at the same time, that does not lead us to despair. It is not the last word in our lives. It ought instead then turn us toward a greater hope toward a trust in the one who does have control and who can deliver us from all evil and lead us into eternal life. I hope this psalm is a, uh, is a, is a kind of model of prayer for you, that it will uh, encourage you, that, it, that it's an encouragement, that whatever troubles you're going through, you can speak those words to God. I think the psalm, you know, it, it invites us, if you don't know what to pray, it invites us toward honesty, Toward confession, right? To say, this is what's, what's lousy. This is what's terrible in my life right now. Here's what I'm complaining about. And, and to just lay that before God, especially during the season of Lent. You know, having faith doesn't mean that you are somehow uh, miraculously isolated or removed from, from illness and, and troubles and troubling people. Uh, in fact, I would say, you know, it's probably just the opposite. It puts you right in the middle of it. Um, Flannery O'Connor, who died from a disease uh, very early, uh, wrote this to one of her uh, readers. She said, what people don't realize is how much religion costs. They think faith is a big electric blanket when, of course, it is a cross. It is much harder to believe than not to believe. If you feel you can't believe, you must at least do this. Keep an open mind. Keep it open toward faith. Keep wanting it. Keep asking for it. And leave the rest to God. I think that's good advice. And I think that's what the psalmist is inviting us to do. To come before God with honesty. To ask. To ask. And to trust and leave it to God. To ask for what you really need right now. Whether healing. Whether rescue. Whether mercy. Forgiveness. Don't, there's no reason to hold things back. I know with people, you know, you have to be careful with your words, you have to be guarded, but there's no need for that here. Whether you're feeling anger toward God or you're feeling like God is angry with you, 
whether you feel distant from God, whether you're going through a time where you, where you can't sleep, where you're in tears, whether you're going through just exhaustion, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, here's an invitation to expose yourself completely before God. All that you're feeling, all that you are thinking. We can be fully and completely who we are before God. And again, I think especially during this season of Lent, I want to invite you to confess, to complain, to cry out, and through it all, have confidence and trust in God. The Lord has heard the sound of your weeping. The Lord has heard your plea. The Lord accepts your prayer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the reminder today that you are one who is near us and your nearness invites us, it encourages us, it gives us strength and the courage to confess, even to complain, to be honest. In this season of Lent, help us, help us to come before you with honest prayers to lay before you all that we are not all that we think we ought to be but to come before you as we are and to trust and to know to have the confidence that you will deliver that you will rescue in your mercy hear our prayers Amen